follow us on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. You will have to enter that in because the fact that we are adult content means that we have agreed to make ourselves unsearchable on their website. My name is Elle and I'm a sex educator. My name is Jen and I'm a private investigator. We want to learn more about ourselves. I'm like the boring vanilla one over here that's like, I don't do anything, but I'm, cu- I'm curious. And the fact that we're both sex workers means that we have insight into things taboo. Trigger warning, if you're easily upset by this stuff, maybe take a break. I have a feeling this is going to be weird. Sex and politics make for some very strange bedfellows. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Strange Bedfellows. Hi, Jen. Hello. Hi, Sharice. Hello. We're going to introduce you in a moment, but I wanted to preface this show by saying that we spend a lot of time talking about uh, living self-help in our lives, how to improve our lives with our conversations and our information around sexuality um, and all of these other intersections. But the eventuality is that we're all going to die. And <laughs> you are going to be our sobering reminder of that for the next hour because death also really impacts a lot of things in our culture and is impacted by a lot of things in our culture. And you said that you love educating people on the death industry. Yes. So here we are. So Sharice Van Hooser is a funeral director and embalmer, and she is available for contact at sharice.vanhooser at gmail.com. <laughs> Uh, so how long have you been doing this work? I've been doing this for five years now. Okay, I'm going to let Jen lead with questions because she looks like God, she's... God, I'm sorry, I'm going to explode. I have so many <laughs> questions. Oh my God. Bursting at the ah, seams. She's just shaking in the chair. <laughs> so you, you've you had some interest in this, Jen? <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating. Okay, so how... Um, is this something you've always wanted to do? No. How did, how did you fall into... Because you have to go to... You have to make a decision to go to school for this. So what... Yes. So, How did that happen? What was your process of getting into funeral it's directing? It's actually kind of an interesting story. I was going to Portland Community College just to get a general associate's degree, and I had no direction whatsoever what I wanted to do. How old were you at that time? Um, I was 22. Okay. We have a lot of listeners at that age. So so you were... How old were you? You were... I was 22. Okay. And my death and dying sociology teacher was like pushing me towards it she's like you would be perfect for this job I cannot imagine anybody more perfect and I thought she was just insane why why did she what did she see in you I have to this day I have no idea (laughs) I reached out to her when I enrolled into the program and I haven't heard from her since that's fucking wild well I, I tell you what just from having known you for a few minutes you're very nice and very easy to talk to calm god yeah and grieving sucks so that's who i would want to to have to to deal with yeah you know and um it wasn't until a friend of mine's mom passed away suddenly and she had died drinking and driving hit a tree so it was an unexpected death and i helped my friend through that process and it was at that moment that i was like oh hey i could do this like wow it just came really naturally to me and 
um, I started school a year later as soon as I could get into the program. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. So it's a two-year program. Mm-hmm. that you did and what what kind of things do they teach you there what everything your, what it, did you start with what was what was a day what was a day at school okay well as a first year student there's um a lot of textbook reading and we started out with funeral service orientation funeral directing business management a lot of anatomy chemistry and that it's just really a lot of work science you don't realize how broad this program is until you're in it you brought in this um this book and you mentioned that there was um that it shocked some people a cadaver named gus in your class that had been there for a long time tell us tell us about gus so gus is um a cadaver at Mount Hood Community College, and he was a body donation, and I have no idea when they had received him originally, but he's been there at least 20 years. Oh, my God. How and do you keep a body that long? Embalming them very, very, very good. Wow. And there's... um I don't think I would be very confident in my own embalming skills for something like that. I know that there's a school right in lebanon that does that so he's been there a while and um all of his organs are preserved so you can actually hold like his heart oh you can is he's cut open so you can like look in him Mm -hmm. and stuff okay so how long have you been doing this work for five years now okay so do you work with people or just with the deceased people so i work with both okay 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 um that's strange. So you'll probably, well, you talk to the family and then go down and handle their loved one afterwards. Yeah. Does so. that ever, is that ever an emotional process for you? You know, um, sometimes it can be, especially when I see a lot of the same family, which happens. Really? Okay. Okay. Um, I think there was one family I had last year that I saw four or to four times in nine months oh my goodness wow so and it's nice because they have this rapport with me they come in I know that they're going to want to meet with me so and I know exactly what we're going to do so do you feel like there's I mean obviously there's there's a range in age you provide this service to I mean what's the youngest person you've embalmed um prenatal okay Mm -hmm. and can you recall like the oldest ish oh 104 okay wow well that's a good long life there you see a lot of like this span i think of age absolutely i find it really helps me in my daily living to think about like the 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 finality of like i could die in a car accident today as i go pick up my child and like yes that increases the anxiety in my daily life (laughs) and then i have to work on that but um but i find that it helps me try to appreciate the little things and to not focus on like, oh, God, I can't wait till this next cool thing's going to happen like next week or living like, in the future. Right. Mm-hmm. Or depressing on the past. Right. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's helped me live in the present more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was going to be my question is, um, do you feel like your daily life is impacted by being around so much of this? Absolutely. I don't feel like it has negatively impacted me. But at the same time, if I'm being honest, my drinking probably has increased. Okay. Yeah. We deal with our... No, we talk about that shit on this show for sure. What what (laughs) types of cases fuck with you the hardest? Kids. 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 
it's you never get used to it mm-hmm. um it's never easy and it can be any uh, the funeral home that i work at um it's family owned it's small and we have a very high suicide rate where i'm at so um this year alone there has been 14 cases that i have dealt with alone okay that were uh, not with where you work but just in the community you work just where i work there's been 14 suicides oh man at the place where you work yeah oh wow yeah that's incredible Okay, so how do you manage your self-care? We talked earlier, again, we were having, you were getting your tea in the kitchen. Um, I apologize, the water took a moment to boil. Uh, But it was nice. It was also a nice thing because I felt bad. I was like, oh, I should have had the water hot for her. And I'm such a bad host. And I was like, you know what? We're here now and I'm just going to enjoy the one minute it takes, you know. I'm going to go smoke more weed. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you feel like... um, you have tools for managing. You said on Sunday you have a nice ritual of like drinking coffee by the fire. Yeah. So having Sundays are my self-care days. And usually I just take the whole day to myself. But it's really hard because I only have four days off a month. So I might get interrupted during my self-care time, which I have to start all over again. Mm-hmm. But well, you're here right now recording on a Sunday. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And um, it's just important to just take care of yourself because that's how you get burnt out in this job. Mm -hmm. There was, uh, when I first started, I was just fatigued all the time, a little depressed, but I just graduated school and I thought, I should have everything going for me. I should be less stressed out. And the doctor, I actually had to go to the doctor and they're like, you have compassion fatigue. Oh my God. They're like, it is a thing. And I'm like, why aren't we talking about this more? Oh my God. Why are we not talking about this more? Holy yeah, that shit. that makes sense. Emotional labor. And not just my job, but I mean, imagine I would like being a server, anything where you're just interacting with people all the time. I, I mean, I get it. It's a PI like fuck I mean for one I work so so much like I'm not it's not unusual for me to have like 70 hour weeks Mm -hmm. where I just work and I'm talking about crime and trauma and all sorts of violence gross shit you know and it's Mm -hmm. and it takes a a toll on you whether you realize it or not your body is gonna react Mm -hmm. I mean I feel like I'm really lucky in a weird way that I don't really have like family like my parents are passed away and I don't have kids and I've been like a pretty solitary person for a long time and I think that's possibly one of the reasons that I can do my job and take some of the cases that I take and not lose my shit because Mm -hmm. I don't have kids like Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what it's like to have kids really and that would really that Mm -hmm. would make it a lot harder to to like do sex abuse cases if i had my own kid i would be like fuck oh yeah Mm -hmm. do you do you have kids or no big family or um my i have a very wide dysfunctional family (laughs) (laughs) um but i couldn't imagine doing this job as a parent because of oh yeah it's my worst fear yeah i mean i had this poor woman walk in and she was like 
seven months pregnant and she's planning a funeral for her baby. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's so sad. And it, I would be freaking out all the time if I was pregnant. I, I assume there was a complication that it was just like... He was... Um, he had a rare genetic disorder gotcha. where he didn't have a skull. Oh. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Dang. That is intense. Yeah, I could see definitely feeling the burnout. Compassion fatigue. Okay, everybody go Google that. I know I'm going to later because that explains a lot of what I feel in regards to my work. Do you have um, a big support network or is there an industry? Do you have like an industry industry friends you can talk about? with this kind of thing or they're like industry support groups? yeah like so, you know <laughs> what's your net do you have a net i i feel like we do and we don't we're trying to uh we're a member of the oregon funeral directors association and we meet every year and i know this last year this was something that they were talking about because it's when I went to convention, it was just a place where we could let loose and kind of deal with shit in our own way. But at the same time, a lot, the common theme that I see with funeral directors is alcohol. Mm. And we chain smoke. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, I have not met a funeral director that does not chain smoke. <laughs> what did you, you huh. sent me, we're not big texters, but I just see now that you had texted me. And the thing you said was, I'm here just being a creeper outside smoking. (laughs) (laughs) I just saw that now. I was like, oh, good. She's here. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah. So there's definitely people, uh, you know, dealing, managing their things as they can. Yeah. We're trying to create some kind of network, but. Mm. um, That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. We need something. And I feel like. A lot of people, we think about our firefighters, our police officers, and the compassion fatigue that they go through, Mm -hmm. doctors, nurses. Right. But we're kind of thrown under the bus. Totally. Yeah, that's right. All these caregivers, and it's like, well, then what? Right. We we don't, I mean, every culture's had methods of disposing of bodies for practical and also ritual reasons. I mean, you don't just kind of like stick them in your backyard (laughs) right um well what answer were because i think do you feel like there is stigma against your industry like do you absolutely i'm like like shaking my head you to take care of our dead family members yet shun you at the same time like so here is a good example i feel like we're not allowed to be human Mm. okay so i was driving the funeral coach through town with a casket in the back and I had someone in the passenger seat and we weren't in procession or anything and Ooh. something funny was said and we were just oh. cackling well someone called the funeral home minutes later like they're laughing oh god um my favorite term that I hear often is I'm stained I'm My what? soul is stained. You? Who who says that? Um, random guys that I've chatted through on dating sites. Jesus. A random lady in the grocery store. Oh my god. Um, there's <laughs> this one regular lady that comes to all the Catholic services, and it was like, you know, you're married, but you don't have children, and this is why. Oh my god! What the fuck? In, oh my god! God, <laughs> a fucking horrible person. 
And I think right. people are also surprised that a woman is doing this. Yeah. Is it most is it not a popular career for women? It is in Oregon. Um I can't speak for mm-hmm. the rest of the states, but we have the highest female funeral director, right? like it's Huh. I think I graduated with two guys. Interesting. It really is, yeah, like a helper's profession because you're not just like a person doing the embalming and you're not just a person dealing with the family. You're dealing with both. So you get the whole picture. Yes, I am with my families from the moment I pick them up at their house or along the side of the road to the moment we bury them at the cemetery. So wait, pick them up. Oh, from this, like if there's a scene of a crime or the action. Yeah. You're so the you one guys go collect them, not like some sort of medical investigator? Or yeah. Or so we don't hospital? have a medical examiner in the county that I work at. So we're essentially the morgue. So any okay. 911 calls that come through from welfare checks to our, uh, homicide, suicide, accidents, we're there. Hmm fascinating okay. <laughs> i mean okay. seriously how um so i guess the, i'm assuming that the embalming process was initially so people could be viewed are viewing still very popular like what's your idea about so viewings gonna- just um first of all oregon has the highest cremation rate in the nation mm. so viewings aren't that common compared to if you go to the midwest and everybody has like a three-day viewing sometimes back there um even cultures that traditionally have viewings they just kind of skip that part here Mm -hmm. um but embalming is only necessary if you have a long viewing more than six hours Hmm. um if they're going to be transported more than six hours or if they're going to be on a flight Mm -hmm. so embalming isn't necessary for a lot of things and i think that's something that people still get stuck in because everybody was embalmed before there was refrigeration to preserve the body right mm-hmm. i guess um when when my father passed away i chose they'd asked me when i was here waiting to fly back if they if i wanted them to you know wanted them to keep keep him i don't know preserved so i could, so I could <laughs> see him when I got there and I actually chose not to because I just at the time thought mm-hmm. that was gonna fuck me up too much even mm-hmm. though now I don't know now I'm like maybe I should have sucked it up and like held it together so I could have seen my dad one last time like what do you think it's better for people especially oh, all right here's better, a question it depends what's better for if you if someone's been in, in some sort of like terrible accident or something has gone to some sort of violent end is it better for the families to see them like that or do you recommend they just do you make recommendations yeah so Um, it i treat it by a case-by-case basis okay um i kind of i've been really lucky that i can pick up a good read on my families so um what the first example that i have there was a young he was probably 19 he died in a motorcycle accident um, and his body had flew like 30 feet from the scene. So he was just not in any condition, mm-hmm. just not to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't even describe it, but just not good. But mom had to see him. Oh man. And wow. even with all of my, I mean, I'm not a magician. I can 
make people look good, but there's only so much you can do. Mm -hmm. So we compromised and I had put a sheet over him so that she could at least hold his hand. Oh man. But I didn't want her to like pick up his hand because his wrist was broken. I'm like, just leave it Mm -hmm. on the table. And that helped her. And it made me feel good that I could at least give her some closure. Now there's some cases where, um, more recently a daughter wanted to see her dad, but she didn't want to. And her family pushed her into the room while she was screaming and wailing. No, But I talked to her about it later and she said it was a best thing anyone has ever made her do really i was shocked i was like well you never know yeah because i'm like oh consent violation consent violation. yeah yeah and i'm like outside the house like i have nothing to do with this Mm -hmm. oh my god how incredibly emotional of course you get fatigue holy shit um yeah that's let's take a collective breath everyone listeners (sighs) okay we're gonna take a break Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing a holistic option for after your shift with new 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. class times. Seeking Space is rooted in empathy and they've combined creative flows and experienced teachers to provide a safe, inviting space for any and all wishing to find peace on the mat. Need a little motivation? They are offering 10% off on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the Seeking Space Yoga app for more information and a full list of class times. Passion by Kate is an award-winning resource for women and couples who crave a more intimate, exciting, and fulfilling sex life. Passion by Kate's affirming writing, workshops, and one-on-one counseling help you create a new level of openness and intimacy with your partner without feeling awkward, twisting yourself into a pretzel, or spending hours a day on intimacy-building activities. Learn more and find hashtag freedom and pleasure at Passion by Kate. That's K-A-I-T dot com. Mention this podcast to receive a complimentary 30-minute counseling session when you purchase any Passion by Kate product or service. If you're looking to jazz up a jacket, bag, or just your fine self, our friends at Gimme Flare have everything you could possibly need. Gimme Flare is the largest online retailer of pins and patches that range from the cute and sweet to the snarky and slutty. They are sex positive, queer friendly, and aim to crush mental health stigma, all with fun flair from around the globe. Check out gimmeflare.com to browse items from over 250 plus artists. Welcome back, everyone. We are speaking with Sharice. She's a funeral director and embalmer. Uh, do you want people to contact you? They're more than welcome to. All right. Sharice.vanhooser at gmail.com. V-A-N-H-O-O-S-E-R. But you can find that spelling on our website at strangebedfellowspdx.com. Let's do some listener questions. Oh, well, let's switch to some sexy (laughs) sex questions. (laughs) So these ones I chose with Sharice in mind because it has a lot to do with body stuff. Um, And she has insight on how bodies work and how they can change and how they can vary. 
So off we go. I have a question about an occurrence with my boyfriend when we have sex. Here's four pieces of information that make me confused but might be relevant. He was on steroids for a few years, and I don't know if that's changed how his penis reacts or works. He's from a different country where sex and sex ed is very rare and frowned upon entirely. He's never been in a relationship before. He had a pretty serious porn addiction that made it hard for him to be erect with women in real life. We are both diagnosed on, as on the autism spectrum. So that's our piece of information. And she says, I'm happy with our sex life, but I don't really care about sex. And we just enjoy having companionship with each other. Sometimes when we have sex, it will seem like he ejaculated because lots and lots of fluid that feels to me to have a viscosity closer to seminal fluid than my own fluids comes out and he will be soft. uh, But he says he didn't come. So my question, can men ejaculate without an orgasm? Totally. I have no. Oh yeah. I oh totally. Say, I have no idea. <laughs> like, totally. I don't know. Totally. Um, I asked I, B this, and he's like, "Yeah." Um, I we asked our Instagram. I asked actually my Instagram followers. Sixty uh, percent of my followers are male. Uh, so, and I'm assuming that's cis male, the majority. Uh, and I asked them to report, and it was fifty-fifty. Pretty much the number that ended up being the final on the chart was like 59% said yes, that they had before had ejaculation without orgasm. And then the 41% said no. So pretty much 50-50 more people said yes, that's happened to me. Um, Relating to steroid use. um, So there is a lot that can fuck with your penis and your function while you're on steroids. I couldn't find any definitive yes that that problem with becoming erect could continue years after you stop using them. It doesn't mean that's the case. I just didn't find it in my internet searching. Um, I thought um, steroid prolonged... Oh, I, I mean, it, I'm sure it's like some sort of terrible misconception I have, but I thought that like prolonged steroid use was supposed to... It's like, really bad for things- you. Yeah, it's really bad for you. Yeah, it'll shrink your balls. It ceases the production of testosterone and semen. You just lose your sex drive completely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You lose your sex drive completely. Yeah. Um, You can get bacne, like like cystic acne all over your body, Um, not to mention mood swings and aggression. So uh, (laughs) uh, those things, I don't know. But long term, I don't know. Um, It sounds like an anxiety thing to me, honestly. because the stuff about him coming from a place where sex is really stigmatized and he's never been in a relationship before. And he had a lot of experience, you know, viewing female sexuality, but not like interacting in a firsthand mm. way. Um, so I feel like it's probably anxiety. Uh, I did get a message from a listener who said that he constantly leaks also. And it's really stressful for him and his girlfriend because she doesn't like giving him head. Because she doesn't like the way it tastes. And if he just blew an ejaculation all at once, she said she could at least avoid it. So (laughs) this is something that, yeah, other people deal with. Um, So that could be the way his body works. I would uh, encourage you to talk to any doctors who specialize in steroid use, anabolic steroid use, and see if they know anything about long-term. Or if you do, please write to us, pillowtalk at strangebedfellowspdx.com. Can steroid use kill you? 
you, you could have a, had, like a heart attack mm, i think yeah i um usually it's just the abuse of steroids with other substances that will cause it but i have not seen where just ster- like steroid overdose okay or anything like that so we'll move on from that one all yeah. right yeah go for it my boyfriend found my g-spot but the sensations there are almost too overwhelming to enjoy it's almost painful i guess gets uncomfortable quickly maybe we're doing it wrong if you haven't had penis and vagina sex yet the closest i've gotten to an orgasm is needing to pee immediately so i go do that i pee sensations of pleasure become raw and i'm left sad defeated and with the throbbing clitoris well your boyfriend should help you with that too. well yeah. maybe he is yeah it sounds like he is um and it sounds like she has some shame around it maybe we're doing it wrong there's no such thing as wrong. It's just, does this feel good or does this not feel mm-hmm. good? If something doesn't feel that good, then you can adjust what you're doing. Um, I make suggestions to be all the time and that's how he figures out how my body works, you know? Um, and I feel kind of bossy sometimes, but then I remember that he can't read my mind and he actually really appreciates it. Um, go pee before you start fooling around. I know it's kind of hard to plan that sometimes, but if you start fooling around, it's perfectly reasonable, and I do this, to say, I have to go to the bathroom and clean up. And and you can mention and clean up because some people are like, oh, you just peed. I don't want to like your I, pussy. I think that'll also help you prevent getting UTIs too, yeah, which there's suck and are horrible. Totally. Extra bacteria hanging out around there. So if you have a wee or, a, you know, if you urinate and defecate, then you can. I like to like, honestly, if I don't have a baby wipe and I know I'm going to have sex or someone's face is going to be up there and I just went to the bathroom, I wash my hands real soapy. And I rub them between my fucking ass cheeks <laughs> and like the outside of my labia. Welcome to Strange Bedfellows. <laughs> hey, I do this, okay? You can do this too when you're on the go. So yeah, I soap up my fuck my butthole area and I wash my outer labia and I rinse with water and sometimes I splash water in my pants. It's not a big deal. And you use a paper towel and you pat dry so you don't get a lot of fibers down there. And like, you're fine. You can go to the bathroom and go back to fooling around and feel hygienic and it's okay to pause fooling around because just because they don't show that in porn and movies doesn't mean that's not how real life works. I do that all the time. And now I know that I can be more stimulated and not worry as much about leaking or wetting because it sounds like what's happening is you get really close and this is common and then you get anxious about peeing or losing control and so you stop. So, so to be clear where the G-spot is, it's really Again. like in relation, close to the bladder, kind of. But what, where are you going with that? I'm like, hey, have you done a dissection, right? Can you <laughs> can you see them? I have I don't not. Know. I have not found the G spot. <laughs> I um. I guess you haven't had a reason to look there. Though. I do not. Um, and I have. Uh, even though I've seen all the organs, I don't dissect them myself uh okay yeah did you have to as part of your training did you take like the traditional a and p series where they make you take somebody apart no 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 i went to community college (laughs) (laughs) so i want sharice to give me your thoughts on um do you see any variation in bodies based on like what you're instructed what you're looking for um I mean, every body is so different. Thank you. That's what it I'm looking for. It is so incredibly different. I mean, I could have the same cocktail formula of embalming fluid 
uh, for, I mean, I can use it across the board and it's going to affect everyone different mm-hmm. and kind of going back to that question mm-hmm. about the concern she had. It sounds like she just might be anxious that they're doing it wrong and then losing focus. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to just sit back and enjoy what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But everybody's so different. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. I was fishing for the answer I wanted, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> People are so different. So, um, like, just the way we're situated. So it's even, I have a, it's kind of tricky with, like, I remember in my brief time in anatomy class, it was, you know, these things should look like this, but if you're looking on, like, the dissection actual picture, it might be harder to find because this person has a small whatever this is. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, as long as we're talking about variations, (laughs) this doesn't really have to do so much with the listener question, but do you guys get... So now that um, there's a lot more visibility around trans issues, how does that come up in the funeral home? Like, who's... Whose wishes do you respect? The deceased persons, the family? Do you guys get like training around that? Is there are there families that right with like language around the the individual? Wow, that's a good question. So let me think about it. I mean, you can. It's ultimately up to the next of kin when it comes down to it. Um, I do deal with a lot of family feuds um, and I guess, I mean, ultimately as the funeral director, you would like to respect the deceased's wishes, but sometimes their wishes are outdated and in a way that what mom planned back in 1985 might not be what she wanted anymore and that's all we have on file. Mm. Right. Okay. Mm. I was confused so. as to what she meant about outdated, but just like whatever you're referencing might not even be relevant. Or right, right. Don't like, even know. Um, for instance, she doesn't live in the area anymore. She hasn't for the last 30 years. There's no point in having a full funeral service because no one's going to come. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, it's definitely tricky. I had a situation where... Um, the siblings were the ones handling the arrangement and they were the only next to kin and they all have equal kinship mm. and they're seven. Oh my them. God. We're all in the arrangement room and they're fighting. Oh my God. We're doing a burial. We're doing a cremation. We want to see him. And I'm like, you can't see him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just going to be a hard no on that. And, um, I was fed up. We were in the arrangement room 45 minutes arguing and I grabbed my file and I said, you're wasting my time. You're wasting your own time. Why don't you come back to me when you've made a decision Mm. and you guys all need to make the same decision. And that got their asses moving. Wow. And And what's the timeline on that? It's like we have this body here. So we have, you know, obviously. Right. You got to take forever. So legally. Um, in the state of Oregon, you have 10 days. Now, Washington, I don't know, but their process is a little bit different, mm-hmm. but 10 days. And if you need more time, which happens when we can't contact family, we just file a permit with the state. Mm-hmm. Wow. That has to process. And you mentioned Washington because Southwest Washington, Vancouver area, we do have a lot of people who work and live in Portland. So, mm-hmm. so the laws and the laws differ in the two states for so many things, but it's kind of ridiculous. Like the whole process, it, like I'm a funeral director in Washington as well. Mm. 
and uh, the, the process is completely different. Have hmm. you had any situations where somebody, I guess maybe somebody had been living, you know, like a transgender person had been living as a woman, and then when they passed away that their family wanted to... Has that come up yet? Per, like, has that come up yet? Have there so, um, is that the sort I've, of thing I've that had, you, if you are that way, that maybe you should make explicit instructions to your funeral home? So this is the, something? I'm going to just touch on something that doesn't really relate to your question. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only had one chan- transgender person um, in my care. And it was heartbreaking to me to learn some things um because they hadn't gone through the surgery to change their genitals this person was identified as a woman but because they still had a penis we had to put their male name they put down that they're a male mm. and it just for me that felt so disrespectful to that person because clearly that's not how they identified yeah. but now oregon i believe just a few months ago they put a new gender on the death certificate so we now have male female and just x Hmm. okay that's it that's That's good Mm -hmm. yeah so little steps Mm -hmm. little steps but Mm -hmm. um the community that i serve it's not something i see too often with Mm -hmm. but it's hard because i feel like a lot i where i work it's a very conservative white little town Mm -hmm. yep well it's not your fault and it's nice that you did the best you could you know, which is what you had to do. I wonder if this is the sort of thing that's going to be coming up more. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Hey friends, do you get sore muscles or stiff joints like us? How's your skin? Is it dry, itchy, irritated, bruised, or sunburned? If so, it sounds like you need some Nabalm in your pocket. Nabalm, that's N-A-E-B-A-L-M, is an all-natural skin and body balm handmade right here in Portland. Nabalm products use a base of organic olive oil and beeswax followed by an infusion of therapeutic essential oils, each of which provides all sorts of benefit. Oh yes, and they smell amazing. To learn more, check out nabalm.com or search Nabalm on Facebook or Instagram. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Visit her office in Portland or connect via Skype to take your intimate life to the next level. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. We are here with Sharice, who is a funeral director, and we are having all sorts of wonderful conversation mm-hmm. the mood is going all over the place I know. <laughs> thanks it's for really staying intense totally. yeah this is so good well we'll keep it a little bit lighter towards the end and of course listen to our after show on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows um you know i started thinking about how we were going to talk about these things in your work on this episode and i found this article um it's not really an article i'd say it's it's a little opinion essay uh Pamela Madsen says, sex, dying, and death, an integral part of living. And she says, would you be concerned about your sexuality if you were told that you didn't have long to live? Um, 
what if your connection to your own eroticism or orgasm was something that you'd always had, but disease that was stealing your life was now taking that too? What if you believe that sexuality is potentiality, that somewhere deep inside of you, there was this unspoken knowledge that our sexuality is the most alive thing in you? So this woman says, we don't speak openly about sex or death and perhaps never of sexuality as part of the dying process. Um, she says she was reading on these things and found one study that examined sexuality and terminally ill patients where one third of the couples reported that they continued to have intercourse up until a few weeks before the death of the patient. Um, and the author speaks on the need for couples to continue to continue their sexual relationship um, and that that should be respected by others. So when we talk about um, people going into hospice care or like elderly care, and they really, a lot of them lose their ability to be sexual because if there's staff around, there's yeah, no... Yeah, they lose a lot of their privacy. There's, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no place for it. Um, and that's something we just, yeah, really don't deal with. You said you love that I we found this one. Do you yeah. deal with a lot of people planning their own funerals? Like you deal with a lot of yes, terminally yes. ill people? Yes, um, So the reason why I loved this opinion essay that Elle had found is because we do not talk about this enough. Um, I also listened to Sex with Emily and her podcast, and it has not been something that I've seen. And I'm like, why aren't we talking about it? Like, mm -hmm. there could be, there's this whole demographic that they're missing. Like, I could see products and toys to help people that are terminally ill. They're not really going, i think so i mean we don't talk about it enough so we don't really know yeah i think people are like scared to touch you you know people get weird about illness you know even when it's a non-communicable illness i can imagine people wanting not wanting you know treating mm -hmm. you like you're delicate yeah. and being a little weirded out by the disease process and mm -hmm. that's got to be really isolating for the person well, that's you're Ill. so self-conscious i mean your body's falling apart I mean, mm -hmm. slowly things are breaking down. Thing, embarrassing things might happen in the bed. Like you might shit the bed because you mm -hmm. came too hard or something. Mm -hmm. You don't know. And I think that's why people tend to avoid it or they don't talk about it. And um, I, it's not something that comes up with your local funeral director when you're pre-planning. But um, some of the families that I've gotten more close with and after their spouse has passed away, they immediately just jump into like a sexual relationship with someone because they haven't had it in so long. Mm -hmm. And then there's this stigma and shame, like you should wait two years before you date mm -hmm. someone after they died, you know. Mm -hmm. It's really a coping me mechanism also for, I mean, probably all the pain they just went through, the horrible yeah. pain they went through. And like, for, I feel like for me with my, um, my job, um, when I got into this industry, I feel like my sexual drive just went through the roof. Really? It fucking makes you feel alive. I know. Right? <laughs> I love I that. I mean. I love that. It really did. I didn't. So I can understand if like your spouse was terminally ill and you had to suppress your sexual appetite for mm -hmm. who knows how long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems like a really. God, that's a tough one, too, because that when I when I fell upon this piece, I, I actually for the first time in my life considered like how 
how sexually active do I think I would want to be if I knew I was dying? I mean, like all the other variables of like what would be going on and what I would be feeling, you know, I, I, I don't know. But I'm like, how would I even frame my sexuality around? Like, what would it, how would that change? And I just don't know. But then I was thinking like, oh man, and if B was dying, like, would I, yeah, of course, I guess I would keep fucking him. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course I would. So, do you think you would be afraid if like he were to pass away while you guys were in the moment? Oh God, I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's another thing. Well, now I will. <laughs> Dude, do you finish or what do you? Oh my God, right. Stop. And that we call is gallows humor. <laughs> do you guys have lots of gallows? Gallows humor. Use of gallows humor. Oh God, you have to. Yeah. You Can have we? To. Same with my industry too. I think people's hair would fall out if they heard the uh, some of the mm-hmm. shit we laugh at. Oh yeah, <laughs> and us too in the dressing room, stripper shit, where it's like joking casually about sexual assault. I'm like, well, if I was gonna get fingered, I could at least have gotten fucking paid, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> like covering for my whole like. I just had a person inside of me I didn't want, but yeah, we deal with it with laughing because it's a release. <sighs> Yeah, this was a good little good little read. The fact is that a patient's primary doctor may not be the perfect person to discuss their questions about sexuality. <laughs> right? <laughs> because we don't train our doctors around sexuality. Um, it's possible that the patient, their family, and even caregivers may be better served by working with clinical sexologists or sex coaches, hi, who have a special interest or specifically trained to provide services for this population. I am not a sex coach that would be able to work with this population where I'm at now, you know, goodness knows, but, um, but they're out there. Yeah, totally. Wow. Um, Do you think you would want to try to reach out? I don't, I don't think this would be something I could. Well, I mean, I don't have a lot of personal experience with death in my close family and I've never gone through the processes with like in dealing with someone with your services so i wouldn't feel equipped um but it also sounds incredibly fatiguing to my compassion (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i have room for it um so if anybody actually can think of any um sex coach uh consultant providers that could deal with um terminal illness or like trauma loss please let us know yeah, that might be the kind of thing that like maybe hospice workers might know about. Like if I they have a background know. in sexuality. No. I mean, think think about it from this perspective. Does a hospice nurse really want to talk about a seventy-two year old grandma's sexuality? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, I would, but I mean I would too. <laughs> right. Right. So they gotta be out there, but like, yeah, we just don't provide these services. So um but that's why we're doing these kinds of things. So if anyone's inspired to get in touch with Sharice, um, you've been lovely. Stay with us for our after show. And yeah, you can contact Sharice.VanHooser at gmail.com. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. For more Strange Bedfellows, check us out on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows and become a supporter for access to behind the scenes material and extra content. My name is Elle Stanger and you can find me at stripperwriter.com and on Instagram at stripperwriter. And my name is Jen. You can reach me on strangebedfellowspdx.com.